Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now, a model is known as a generalized hypothetical description of something. We all know about car models and plane models and house models. And maybe even some of us have seen the famous model of an atom as being a little solar system. Well, physics, this is modern physics, uses models in describing the physical world. Now, their leading model is called the standard model of particle physics. Not very fancy, but that's what it's called. Now, this is, in, in actuality, probably the most important model known to humankind because it is supposed to be a model of reality, of all physical reality. And the quest of science, at least in some people's minds, is to understand reality and maybe going a step further, maybe even control it or work with it to our advantage. Now, on October 8th of this year, the Nobel Prize, the most prestigious award in science, was awarded to two physicists for the discovery of something called the Higgs boson, also known as the God Particle. This discovery was heralded by some as being the key to the universe and the missing piece to the standard model. Sounds like big news, as if the secret to the universe has been found and we could all go on holiday cruises celebrating this unlocking of the secret to the cosmos. Well, some people are not so sure that the scientists in the Large Hadron Collider actually found anything or whether this particle, the Higgs particle, actually is something that's going to unlock the secret to the cosmos. There are a few people, in fact, actually questioning whether this discovery is true and whether it means anything. Foremost among these critics is today's guest, who's joining us from Germany. His name is Alexander Unzicker. He's a German theoretical physicist and science writer. His book, Bankrupting Physics, won the award for the most controversial science book of the year by the German agency Image of Science. His new book is entitled The Higgs Fake, How Particle Physicists Fooled the Nobel Committee. Welcome to the show, Alexander. It's great having you here to confront some big questions about the God particle. Hello, Philip. It's great to be here. Well, we have uh, discussed the God particle a few times on this show, and part of the reason for doing it is because if the Nobel Prize Committee is handing out awards for discovering something, it seems as if it's something we should all take note of and learn from. It seems as if the Higgs 
particle is something that is important. The fact of the matter is, I think, that most people really don't understand it and don't understand how it affects their lives. Now, and in your two books, Alexander, you talk about the Higgs boson a lot, but you also, on a more general level, express some concerns about the direction of modern physics. So before getting into the Higgs particle, why don't you tell us what bothers you about where modern physics is heading? Well, I'm concerned about the standard model of particle physics, and I doubt that this is an appropriate uh, description of reality. I think that uh, people like Einstein or Dirac would have considered is as ridiculous that such a complicated picture, such a complicated model has anything to do with reality. And um, well, as you said, that the common narrative is that the standard model works so well and it's so precisely tested and there are just little things to fix, um, such as it cannot, cannot explain masses. Um, so the common narrative is that this is a model that works, but uh, I don't think so. I, people say that they need a Higgs field, they need this uh, symmetry breaking, and uh, they need to explain that to give us an idea about mass, about the origin of mass. But there is no evidence whatsoever that this model of this, uh, this standard model, and, and in particular the Higgs mechanism, has anything to do with reality. It may be as well just a metaphoric picture and and nothing to do with reality. At this point, I would not even admit that the standard model can give us... Uh, I would not even admit that the standard model has the chance to give us our understanding of gravity. Well, and, and, I, and I, I think that has been one of the great misconceptions that science has bestowed upon the public is is giving the American public the impression that the standard model is sort of like almost complete or really gives a accurate picture of reality. And so I, I think it's important right now to really describe some of the problems of the standard model. Okay, And, and I want to set the table like this. We know what reality is is because we live in it and we look outside and we live in three-dimensional space with objects trees plants earth sky uh, stars etc and then there is this model and there's something in the standard model there's these particles and there's the forces right and and so what is it about for example the particles or the or the complications of the standard model that really give you concern or that cause you to part company with those who advance this idea that the standard model is the final word? Well, uh, simply, I think there are two basic reasons. Um, first of all, the standard model doesn't make any quantitative predictions. Lord Kelvin, the famous British 19th century physicist, said, if you cannot express it with a number, your knowledge is of meager and unsatisfactory kind. 
And why the standard model is unsatisfactory? Because the problems are there. One of the biggest riddles, for example, is the mass ratio of the most important particles in the universe, the proton and the electron. And this mass ratio is an unexplained number. Nobody knows where this ratio of 1836 comes from. And in fact, the greatest minds like Paul Dirac wondered about that and, and pondered and, and spent tens of years of your scientific life to, to get an idea about. And uh, today, uh, we don't wonder even more. We, we, don't, uh, we don't think about any more about this problem. So uh, today's answer, so to speak, uh, to this big riddle of this unexplained number would be the proton is 1836 times heavier than the electron because its constituents couple 1836 times stronger to the Higgs field. Yeah. But I mean, what kind of answer is that? Right. It's, I don't think this is an answer, and honestly, I think that, that uh, Dirac Einstein wouldn't have given a damn on that. Yes. Yes. What, what and, is... Go, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to ask you about a free uh, about free parameters and, 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 yeah. and, and yeah, how yeah, many... That's, that's, an imp yeah. that's another important question, but the second thing, about, if you talk about masses, um, this was about mass ratios, right. okay? And, and it's a big riddle, but another even more profound problem of physics is that it cannot predict masses. Why does the proton have the mass it has? And if you are a theoretical physicist, you you ought to to come out with a number to do calculations to make explanations and not to not to make excuses. So it's your job to to um, to uh, calculate such a number, such, such a mass. And the only possible way to do it would be doing some very sophisticated mathematical theory, calculating numbers. But what you also need is the physical unit of mass, which is kilograms. You can't invent it. You need this unit. And the only way to include it in a possible formula, I don't know how this formula could be, but the only way, generally speaking, would be combinations of, uh, of constants of nature. Now, there are no combinations of the known constants of nature which yield the unit of kilograms of mass. So mm. it's just impossible. It's impossible unless you include the gravitational constant. But what does that mean? If you want to resolve the most basic problem of physics, calculating masses, you have to consider gravity. And this is a problem from from which the solution is very, very far, okay? And it's it's kind of ironic that particle physicists say that, okay, we don't consider gravity because it's so weak, we don't have to care about it, it's too complicated, let's do other stuff, and we uh, work with the Higgs field. And they deliber deliberately disregard gravity, even it would be the only possible way even to think about a solution to the problem of mass i think this is this is really hilarious yes well i mean you put it in different words you know when, when we talk about a model one would think that the model in, in, encompasses everything we need to explain reality we all know that gravity exists it's probably the most well-known force of nature 
in addition to maybe electromagnetism, but mm-hmm. sta- the standard model doesn't explain gravity, right? It doesn't it doesn't encompass it doesn't encompass gravity, and mm-hmm. and or it doesn't yeah. And so right off the bat, we know that it's got to be incomplete. And what you said about the masses is so important because this is one of the misconceptions I think uh, imposed upon the public where the announcements from the the uh, Large Hadron Collider when they when this Higgs discovery came out was oh now scientists have found the secret to mass mm. as yes. as, mm. as if as if this this large accelerator uncovered where mass comes from that's not really correct is it no, I think it is actually. I think that's quite ridiculous boasting. I mean, and that's part of the part of the strategy that you have to sell your results. And and but uh, people in there pretty much know that it's it's not the solution to to one of the basic problems. I think many people would, in secret, even agree to this. Well, well, let's let's have you explain what the Higgs field is supposed to be. What the, what what this thing. What this thing is, and then and then let's move to what exactly happened at the Large Hadron Collider. So, for those who are who have not read up on what the Higgs particle is, Alexander, why don't you give a description of what it's supposed to be? Well, I mean, I, I can I can retell the common narratives about the Higgs field. I mean, you. Uh, people are uh, telling the story of a celebrity entering a room full of journalists and yeah. then the journalists are gathering gathering around the celebrity and by doing this they they the inertia so to speak of the celebrity is increased because uh, he or she cannot move anymore cannot accelerate anymore and uh, this, the mass of the people in the room would correspond to the Higgs field, and the Higgs particle itself would be kind of a rumor spreading among the room people, telling and retelling the latest news. I mean, this is this is something you can imagine, and and then you can imagine that there is a field. You can imagine that there is this. Mexican head profile of uh, of a potential, and you, you you can imagine that you need symmetry break, breaking, but as I said, um, this is uh, the link to reality is still very shaky, and, and it might be something totally metaphorical that doesn't take us uh, doesn't uh, take us ahead in physics, and. Uh, other people like like, uh, like authors like Andrew Pickering, uh, he's a particle physicist who later became a sociologist of science. Other people have very well explained that uh, these these concepts are very detached from reality and and became theoretical fashions. Uh, upon which, of course, everybody works, but they they might not be an appropriate picture of reality. You know, right. I mean, um, mass mass should be something very very different from this banal idea of of uh, particles gathering and, and propagating, because there are so so deep riddles uh, in the very concept of of mass and gravity. 
I give you an example of the of the equivalence principle. It is called equivalence principle because we have two distinct appearances of mass if you observe nature and one is that mass simply resists acceleration. Right. Try to throw something and you feel that there is something resisting your force. Okay, And this is a matter of mass. But this is one thing. And the other thing is that mass obviously gravitates. You see a gravitating force in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the vicinity of large bodies. But it's, it's entirely different to the first definition of gravity. And why are these masses so, so similar uh, is, is still a big riddle. And Einstein also wrote in his autobiography, I deeply wonder about that question. And, and so if you, as I said, if you want to understand something about gravity, you have to, to dig very deeply into uh, into general relativity in its relation to the universe but uh, following that that uh, Higgs mechanism it, it's a very superficial fashion that disregards history disregards all the, the the deep thoughts that the really great physicists have have thought about gravity yes and this is Philip Merton this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with Alexander Unziker, the author of the new book, The Higgs Fake, and we're talking about what's wrong with the Higgs discovery. Now, again, what I understand here about the standard model is that the way scientists uh, sort of drew this up on, on the chalkboard or on their computers, that the masses of of the standard model or else the particles of the standard model don't have masses of their own they're they're considered to be massless or something in order to make the mathematics work and they needed the Higgs field to to give these massless particles mass or something so these massless particles move through the Higgs field and they couple with this field and they acquire mass something like that is that was that what the theory is supposed to be Yes, of course. Yeah, yeah but yeah, I, th yeah, I think yeah, that the, the the entire picture is is very unsatisfactory. Yeah, yeah, and and part of the part of the problem, and this and this I think we need to drill into a little bit, is what exactly the physicists saw at the Large Hadron Collider, because the natural it's sort of like if if Columbus discovered America, we we have this image in our head of Columbus actually coming ashore in America somewhere. Well, when when the announcement came out that the physicists had found the Higgs particle in the Large Hadron Collider, I think that most people would think, oh, well, they found this particle, and it had this little tag on it that said Higgs particle. But that's not exactly what they saw. Why don't you, why don't you describe in your words what you think they actually saw, if anything, with the Large Yeah, Hadron. that's a very important point, because as you said, uh, People are a part of the scientific community is critical about theoretical stuff like string theory, and agrees that that physics has to do experiments. But they also think that everything which is called experiment is is good physics, and it's not because um, if you look what's what's the real evidence, it's uh, you notice something very strange that. 
the as you said that you don't discover a particle which has a label Higgs on it what you discover is signals uh, on a large background that means something like uh, two extra light particles two extra photons on a background of a hundred billion photons okay right. and you say okay I understand these 100 billion photons I know where they come from and this remaining pair comes from the decay of the Higgs boson this is a kind of very weird kind of, of evidence and um, it's it, it makes you understand that uh, even if you have a relatively banal signal like two light particles or in other cases two uh, very energetic charged particles or something you can assign uh, a sophisticated meaning to it but it's all kind of interpretation everything what comes out of, of the LHD results is photons protons electrons maybe muons but very uh, very fast charged particles so <laughs> it's yeah. a very simple thing but the interpretation is uh, very very complicated because um, to describe the results you use all the stuff of top quarks, bottom quarks, jump quarks, uh, W bosons, Z bosons, gluons, whatever and you have if you have such a bunch of, of, uh, of tunable uh, screws at your hand to describe the result it's not a big achievement to reach precision and what people don't realize is that how many theoretical assumptions are piled on top of each other and how many how much theory actually theory has entered the back door of these so-called experiments yeah and i think that's a, a, a very important point because the the people looking for the higgs boson are coming to that that experiment with a lot of preconceptions a lot of baggage and and to put it in as simply as I can do it that there was a assumption I believe that the Higgs boson if one existed had to be a, had to be a, a certain weight it had to be what 125 uh, no 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 nobody did predict that okay. number they just searched all the range of masses and, and that was the only place where they <laughs> okay. found something okay okay there was no prediction at all yeah okay so okay so 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 they come to this experiment and they want to find something and okay and so they narrow the range of what this pig's boson is is supposed to weigh in some way and then they look at billions upon billions of collisions they use their computer programs to sort of filter out the noise, if that's possible, and they never actually saw the, saw a quote unquote particle. What they're seeing are sort of decay patterns of something that maybe was in the range of what they were looking for. And so, as you point out, it's it's hard. And I think one thing you do that's really a service is is to uh, is to highlight how many how many compound assumptions there are in this and, and Alexander you know I think this is something that is extremely important and that is if we're if the goal here is to look is to find the truth and to point science into a truth theory then 
unpacking these assumptions just ma it makes it so much more difficult because it's hard to figure out where to start from. Yeah, yeah you know, and, and 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 I and I think that, but but the nice thing is, is that in books like yours, where you where you you expose this this point, the point that hey guys, these these physicists are being paid for this. This is their job. This is their grant money, and they have to find something. And and of course, I have a funny feeling that you're not exactly a popular person with the mainstream scientific community. <laughs> I mean, I, I I've looked around a little bit, but I I but 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 someone's got to do this, and I mm -hmm. think it's important for you know the public to at least understand what is really going on here because here's really the rub in my mind and that is you pile on all these assumptions you see these these decay patterns and then somebody says we found the Higgs boson and it permeates the entire universe I mean that's mm -hmm. got to be the largest scale extrapolation I've ever heard of I mean it's it's unbelievable to me that based upon what they found in the Large Hadron Collider whatever they saw that therefore they've concluded that this field permeates the entire universe. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. Go ahead. That makes no sense to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You made an important point. Um, I think that uh, how how do we arrive at all these uh, signals? And and this is what I understood when I when I studied the history of of particle physics. I think it's extremely important that you get a picture of the entire history of books like Andrew Pickering's Constructing Quarks or, or Gary Taub's Noble Dreams or books like that. And um, what I learned is that there is a philosophy of particle physicists which you can say in, in, in one sentence. And this is uh, yesterday's, yesterday's Nobel Prize is today's background. And this philosophy, I think, is deeply foolish because you always find a signal. You always find a signal if you remove the background consisting of previously found uh, particles. If you go to higher energies, if you go to higher luminosities, if you have more power in your accelerator, if you use a finer sieving, if you if you do more triggering, which is pre-selecting signals, actually only 0.001% of the data is used in their large hardened side. If you do, if you go to the extreme limits of technology, yeah, if you, if you uh, assume that your reactions are very, very rare and you, you look for always more tiny signals, you find, you find always some signal and you have if you have just these shaky predictions at hand with no numbers you can always assign this new signal to something in your theoretical box room yeah. and that's how it works and that's how the story how the the story repeats i mean particle physics is not six uh, since last year's press conference uh, with the discovery of the Higgs bosons, it has undergone a long process of. I mean, it, it's 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 really the same the same pattern that repeats. Um, make some make up some model with a vague theoretical prediction, 
build an accelerator, go to higher energies, filter everything you, underst you understand, and everything you don't understand, call it a new particle, and yes. then go to higher energies and, and repeat the same story again. And I think that particle physicists believe they can continue this forever, but I think that's, that's a really weird, a really foolish strategy if you are after the big questions of nature. So what is what is the what is the public sup supposed to get from this Higgs discovery? Because I think there's a number of lessons coming from it. I mean, we we we've tried. I've tried very hard to to understand. Okay, if it's if it's true, then and the scientists are correct, then there is this Higgs field that permeates the entire universe that nobody could actually explain how it got there, that gives these massless particles mass. It's sort of like uh, my, my analogy that I like is a in football, you have a kickoff returner that attracts tacklers, where mm -hmm. these particles move through the Higgs field and accumulate mass. And that's, okay, so what is that? I mean, for the person on the street, it's sort of like, well, that's nice, but it's so esoteric, who cares? But, but from your analysis... What what is the takeaway that we should have from what this really means for science? What 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 is the what's the point that you would make about why we should be paying attention to this? Yeah, well, I think the the, the very base of science is evidence, but not everything what you call evidence is actually evidence. So I think that our Particle physics has a problem because um, it does not really independently repeat its results. And if if you if you doubt all these results in public, you're easily um, accused of being a conspiracy theorist or or a, or a crank or disbeliever of everything. Um, I think there is a there is something one can make use of if you talk about evidence. Um, evidence, and this is a lesson, again, a lesson from history, can, uh, can be something very wrong. But uh, what you need is independent tests. I am not doubting all the discoveries of physics. I tell you why I believe in Maxwell's electrodynamics, because no cell phone would work with it. I believe in quantum mechanics because every digital camera needs it. I believe in general relativity because every GPS receiver would uh, would deliver weird signals if it wouldn't work. But particle physics in the last 60 years had nothing to deliver, nothing to produce, nothing to get to work outside the academia. And this is a very suspicious point, not because every um not because we are only looking after the the, the inventions who, who have applications but the fact is the historical fact is that if you have an important discovery sooner or later it will transform into technology which can prove its correctness outside the field and this is missing in, in the result of particle physics yes and i think that one one thing that a lot of people probably would get from 
this discussion so far and they would be exactly correct and that is this reminds me of a computer game it the the Higgs field and particle physics reminds me of somebody trying to map physical reality using particles and forces and sort of trying to figure out how to model it using a computer program the problem is 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 are we trying to prove the the computer model correct or, or are we trying to say something about reality this is philip Merton. this is conversations beyond science and religion we're speaking with german theorist alexander unziger the author of the new book the higgs fake we're talking about the higgs discovery and where particle physics is going and on that note alexander i'd like to talk a little bit about what you think the future of particle physics is going to be and it, it reminds me of of this of this you know thomas kuhn and the structure of scientific revolutions you talk about that in your books and and it's, it's extremely important because in that book, which is if you're going to read, you know, 10 books on science, you got to read the structure of scientific revolutions, at least the first couple chapters, because in that book, Thomas Kuhn basically says that most science is normal science and every, and people just do their jobs. It's like a nine to five process. And every once in a while, there's a paradigm shift and that's the revolution. And, and what what do you think th this means for for science? I, I'm concerned that we're going to continue going down the same track and continue building larger accelerators and and basically losing more and more touch with reality. But what do you think this is going to mean for the future of physics? The the whole search for these elusive particles. Well, in short, if people understand Kuhn or not, that's the question. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. <laughs> I would yeah. say, yeah. but actually, yeah, uh, you're right. I mean, uh, particle physics reminds me very much of such a, a Kuhnian uh, science of this uh, uh, of this incremental uh, process of of um, modeling that. Uh, becomes more more complicated, more sophisticated, more unexplained, and eventually, once in a while, there is a crash, a scientific revolution. But what we have to understand, and I think science can only advance if we understand the history of science, what we need to understand is that there are the parallels of these, of these standard model of physics, parallels for example, to the medieval uh, epicycle model of the Earth at the center of the universe and the planets orbiting Earth. And then this is your, your, your model where you start out and then you observe that Mars does not uh, go on, on straight orbits, but uh, it has the retrograde motion once in a while. And then you correct for it and you say, oh, it's, it's moving on a little circle. Uh, on top of that that basic orbit and so on and you add patches and fixes and, and you add new numbers which are all unexplained and you arrive at the at a fairly precise description of reality uh, that is somehow arbitrary and, and contains many unexplained numbers and that's where we are today in particle physics and another important thing is that these uh, revolutions can 
can appear at every time scale. I mean, we have observed such a crisis uh, or, or such a dead end of science uh, lasting for 1,500 years. And we have observed the, the, the overlooking of the continental drifts for 50 years. And we have, we have other episodes in science which were on a much shorter time scale. But we have to realize that this is well possible. It's well possible that all these standard model of, of particle physics, even if uh, all scientists uh, are convinced it's, it's the correct model for about 60 or 70 years, we have, to, we have to realize that it might be totally wrong and it might be a dead end that is, well, obnoxious to the progress of science rather than useful. If the standard model is so flawed, and I'm of the mind that it is, then why aren't there more dissenters? Why aren't there more people like you and maybe like me? Why aren't, why, where's, where's the dissenting group? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question. And I think um, this is at least unconsciously the strongest argument for everybody, for every particle physicist, because it's so uh, painful to think that tens of thousands of physicists are following a flawed model of reality. It's just too, too self-destructive to think about his own work that might be just wrong. Right. And we have to we have to realize that uh, that psychological facts, and we have to realize how scientific knowledge is established. And at the very end, it's a very human thing. Um, why does science develop uh, these kind of flawed models? Because it's it's very simple. If you discover something, something unexpected, something weird something new, it's very easy to make a new concept, to postulate a new particle, to say, okay, it's an extra feature of our existing theory. And you will easily find people collaborating and, and making friends with you and publishing paper together with you. But on the other hand, it's almost impossible to scratch an existing concept and you, you easily make enemies if you say, no, that might be just wrong. Yes. But build, but destroying existing knowledge would be as important as creating new knowledge. But there, there is this inherent bias of humans doing science that tends towards complication. So we have this. I think it's it's kind of inevitable that that uh, that we have this uh, we have this uh, process, and that's the deeper reason of the of the Kuhnian description of science. So there is no no easy way out, especially if the model is older than one generation of physicists, because yeah. all the all the doubters, all those who who had a look back to the to the exit, uh, are just dead. I mean, uh, it's Feynman or, or or not to talk about Heisenberg, Einstein, or Dirac. They would would have considered ridiculous the, the current model. Yes, and I th I think what's in also extremely important here as you point out in in one of your books that you know the new generation of physicists they are being tested on the knowledge of the standard model they're not mm. being encouraged to question the mm. findings of the standard model and it mm -hmm. sort of becomes a self-perpetuating uh, philosophy 
there the, the one quote from Einstein that I that I that almost all physicists ignore and and really the spirituality people tend to quote it which is uh, he said that you can't uh, solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created the problem you sort yeah. of have to move to a different level take things from a different perspective and what what I'm saying is is the physicist banging the same drum and expecting to get a different answer and there there's no there's to me there's no way they're going that this, the physicists are going to be able to explain reality using only particles because mm -hmm. to me it is a it, frankly i think it i think it turns out to be a, a reduction to absurdity because things like the higgs field raise the question okay if there is a higgs field then where did it come from what the big bang just happened to randomly throw out this field which mm -hmm. which which happens to give particles these exact masses so they fit into the equations i mean if you think that through it doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, mm -hmm. it it really it really goes in the other direction so from from your uh perspective and i think this is important you are probably right up there with one of the leading critics of particle physics what has what has been the reaction that you've received say in germany from your book what what kind of or, or from your books what reaction are you getting oh all sorts of reactions yes yeah <laughs> i mean very i would say very extreme okay I'm, okay i have i have uh, gathered all the five stars, one stars <laughs> reviews, <laughs> and there are people enthusiastic about it and uh, people on the other hand of the spectrum just insulting me or, or right. being a crank and not understanding the basics and uh, and so on. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think, as I said, it's very, very, um, I understand this and it's, it's very, very painful um, to recognize as a scientist, if you are in a dead end, yes, because it's just uh, uh, well. I mean, I think from a psychological level, it's impossible to acknowledge it. So, if you if you studied uh, particle physics and you lived in this world with all these strange assumptions about the laws of nature, you're you're kind of brainwashed with a with a different philosophy of doing physics. Of you, you you're used that that you just describing things and not explaining this is a this is a totally different perspective and, and that's what that's what makes people aggressive sometimes but i think we have to realize that physics has transformed from uh, in, in in the last hundred years from from a philosophy based uh, search of the true laws of nature to uh, to just technology and uh, and this this technology uh, technology driven models are, are kind of weird because you, if you, if you talk about the future if you if you ask the leading particle physicists about the future they might give you answers such as oh we the next round of accelerators with even higher energies might give us clues to the theories of everything but that's nonsense because I mean you can't descend deeper in a gorge, always deeper, and then say, oh, I may 
get out on top of a mountain. It's just impossible because we 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 continuously have complicated the laws of nature. We are adding adding free parameters every five years to the theory. You never you never never arrive at the simple true theory um, of physics if you unless you completely discard the standard model. And the problem is there that. Um, some people also say, oh, okay, we just need a new genius, a new Einstein who overlooks everything. But it's also a flawed picture of, of, of this current state of science. Because Einstein at his time could overlook the whole, not only the theoretical part, but also the relevant experiments. But today's physics, we have transformed it in a, in a messy state which is beyond remedy. Nobody can understand the results of particle physics unless you adopt this weird language of all these bunch of particles. And this is, this is where we have to work. We have to get rid of this uh, description and arrive at a model independent description and then we might have a chance to, to get rid of it. What is a free parameter for those who don't know what a free parameter is? What is that? A free parameter is a number you measure with an experiment, but you can't explain it. Right. Let's, uh, the most famous example is a combination of uh, the constants of nature of the electron charge and the speed of light and the, the quantum and the Planck's quantum, which is 137.0359 and so on. It's, it's, it's the one over this number. And this is a number we don't understand. So it's always kind of unsatisfactory if uh, nature shows you something and you have to say, okay, it's like that, but you can't explain it. The business of a theoretical physics physicist is to explain numbers, not to find excuses. And this is just the most prominent example that demonstrates that we we, we haven't understood the, the true laws of nature yet. The most prominent example is this fine structure constant. But there are now 50 or, or even more unexplained numbers. And unless we do not simplify it, unless we do not find e equations which reduce this, this number of numbers, which... Uh, Unless we, we, we find equations um, which bring us to, to just five constants of nature or even one constant of nature, we, uh, we do not, we don't, not arrive at a, at a final theory. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Alexander Unziker, the author of the new book, The Higgs Fake, How Particle Physicists Fooled the Nobel Committee. Now, Alexander, let's let's uh, get a understanding of of how you believe the particle physicists did fool the Nobel Committee. And I know we've talked about it, but but why why did you choose that title for your book? Um, well, I think that the Nobel Prize was a very immediate reaction to this uh, press conference and this hyped so-called discovery of the Higgs boson. I don't think that the Nobel Committee really understood uh, for what it was voting for. And I think it was an incredible uh, boasting to claim that this is the discovery of the century 
because it did not resolve a single one of the true problems of physics. And to, uh, to call it the discovery of the century, it's, uh, you could call it fraudulous, you could call it charlatanry, or you could just call it foolish parroting. But at the end, um, it's clear that the, the real masterminds of physics would have considered it ridiculous. And that's why I think it's so annoying and uh, it, it, it has to be said that uh, we are very, very far from a, from a deeper understanding of the laws of nature. And, um, and this recent so-called discovery was just another episode in, in, the, in the history of particle physics, but nothing fundamental. So you... you, you very justifiably, you can call it, uh, yeah, a fake discovery. And, well, and I, yeah, I and think I, the Nobel Committee has been fooled. Yes. Yeah, and I, I think I would agree. And it's, it, but it becomes more, it becomes like a kangaroo court, or you know, where the the same physicists who are awarding the prize are are part of the community of physicists that are advancing this search for the ultimate particle. Uh, and I think that what ev anybody could understand, and I think in our hearts we know it to be true, is that the final theory needs to be simple. Simple. It, it, yes. definitely, it definitely needs to be simpler yes. than this complicated morass that is the standard model. I mean, I lose track sometimes of how many fundamental particles there really are. Depending on where you look, I mean, you're doing well, sir. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, I've seen, and I've used in my own book, I've seen 61, 61. Some people, I just, I just saw a video as I was preparing for the show where uh, a physicist from Fermilab was giving a little talk on something, and he said that, oh, science, a standard model could explain reality with a handful of particles. Okay, a handful to me sounds like five. <laughs> and and I don't. I mean, how many? What 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 do you think? How many fundamental particles do you really think there are out? I mean, what what number do you use? I, I have no idea what the real number is anymore. Well, I, I don't know either. I, <laughs> I'm not one of the folks who, who is claiming that he has the theory of everything or this or that brilliant right. alternative that explains everything. But I believe that, as you said, that good physics is simple. And uh, I, I would like to remind, uh, yeah, listening to those who have found out something. And Einstein, for example, believed that he said he wouldn't believe uh, in the truth of any theory that has an unexplained number. So it's really, um, if you think that we have to explain these numbers, and I think we have, um, we are very, very far from, uh, from the final theory. But uh, maybe this is too much, and we ought to be humble, and we we should um, well make proposals how we can improve in the present situation things. And there there is something to improve, even if you might have different ideas about what the final theory of everything is going to be. And I think what the message here is that modern physics is going down this road of increased complication, increased incomprehensibility. 
and it's leading to theories or ideas like the Higgs particle, which which is so strange. This this concept that there is this field permeating the entire universe, giving particles mass, that it tells me that they're heading down the wrong path, and it it's it's a little troublesome, although understandable, that people like you who write books really attacking this whole enterprise are 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 themselves being attacked as being as you put a fraud or a crank or whatever and but well, I, it's I it's it's so important though i mean this is what science is about this it's mm-hmm. it's about questioning ideas and mm-hmm. and so i and so i think that you you have to we have to have people like you out there uh doing this and it I've read a couple of reviews of your of your books, and you know it's the kind of thing where people might question, okay, he used the wrong font or he quoted this wrong, and therefore the whole book is wrong, you know or something or something like that where if you actually read what you wrote, you make a lot of good points that are hard to argue with in my mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well yeah, I mean there, there's of course there are people who who i mean if you read books, you can find an error in the sense of stumbling upon an error. Or you can actively look for something you want to misunderstand. <laughs> right. That's what people are, are sometimes are trying. Yes. But I think I mean I, f- I find much comfort in in that what Nassim Taleb uh, said. Uh, you never win an argument unless people attack you in person. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> well, well, that I think, yeah. I think it's okay. And I'm, I I'm, I I realize that that. That that my my criticism is very cruel and and I also I'm kind of grateful that I'm not part of the community because if I were part of the community I, I probably I couldn't sustain that on a, on a psychological level because because you're really saying that you guys are on the wrong track and yes. it's not it's not easy to listen to to such a criticism that's okay it's, yeah. it's also okay it's people get angry. And it's also okay if if um, people have different ideas from what I consider interesting in physics, but we should maybe we should arrive at some consensus how we conduct science on a method methodological level, and I think there there is something that even some particle physicists could agree on. Yes, well, there's there's something in in this country called a CLM, which is a career limiting move, and. If you're within the scientific community and you're questioning science, it is a career-limiting move. And, and that's part of the problem that the only way to change things is to really take yourself outside of that community and look at things more objectively. And that leads me to ask you, what led you to write uh, the the books on this topic. I, I believe your first book, uh, it was called something different in Germany, but in this country it was called Bankrupting Physics. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. What what led you to, to write that book? Well, actually, I mean, I, I do physics for a long time, but, but I think my own, I think about my own ideas, and I did a lot of, of gravitational physics and general relativity and generalizations of general relativity and and most of the stuff I dealt with was very old ideas and uh, well then I I try to to uh, collect the evidence for the for the law of gravitation and, and I worked in gravitational physics and and I I noticed that there is um, 
the, the law of gravitation is not well tested really on, on the scale of the universe. It's it's well tested just in our solar system at the very end, to put it very yeah. <laughs> bluntly. So I was expressing some some doubts on, on that and I got a very nice feedback from many scientists all over the world saying like, uh, oh, people every day tell that the universe contains 95% of un invisible substances. Uh, that might be true, that might be as well wrong. So I got much... Uh, I got much uh, encouragement from these reactions and at the same time I I saw that many things were going wrong with particle physics, with theoretical particle physics. I, I read the books by Peter White and, and Lee Smolin and, and and I realized that you you have to to look at the history of, of physics and uh, books like Andrew Pickering's book or also in gravitational physics there are similar books and then that brought me to to reflect about the the big questions on one hand and I also saw that that this model cannot be right you know? yes. and something has to say uh, somebody has to say something against it and um, I also believe that that uh, astrophysics, with all its its uh, shortcomings, has better chances to get out of the dead end than than particle physics has, because astrophysics has um, has its data on the internet publicly available, and this is and this is what I really want particle physicists to do. And and this might be also if if you if you agree, I would like to point out that as a, as a proposal to to improve things. Sure, go ahead. Um, the problem is, as I said, is we we don't need a new Einstein because Einstein could not make sense of the data today, because the data is uh, the, the the scientific results of particle physics are formulated in a language which anticipates this weird model. So we need a, a model independent um, model independent representation of the data which is publicly accessible, commented. Uh, everybody is free to analyze it with his own model. Yeah? Right. You don't have to be forced to adopt this weird view of interpretation in terms of Higgs bosons and W bosons and, and top quarks or whatever. So I think that particle physics has to get its data on the internet. It has to make it public. And this is really weird because um, they come up with a, with a couple of, of very strange excuses. I had, I had a debate with a German particle physic physicist and he said, okay, you know, we have such an amount of data, it's so difficult, we have difficulties to understand it, to, to order it, to, to, to get it analyzed, we can't put it, we can't put the raw data on the internet. But, sorry, I mean, whose yes. fault is it? Who yes. got us into this mess? Yes. It was 60 years of, of giantism in particle physics, this, this desire of always building the next round of accelerator, the bigger accelerator. And now, today, we arrive at the point 
uh, they say, oh, we have such an amount of data, we can't handle it, we can't do any science anymore, we can't be repeatable anymore. I mean, what kind of argument is this? Yes, yes. If you're not able to put the data of the LHC on the internet, get the data of the Tevatron on the internet, get the data of the of the CERN of the, of the 1980s on the internet, get Lederman's neutrino experiment. I would love to see the raw data. I would love to see the raw data of the of Hofstetter's scattering experiments, I would love to to see the raw data of the of the Gargamel uh, chamber. So, but there is nothing. There is not a single wire chamber photography. There is not a single collision data on the internet with which anybody could make use of. And yes. I think this is a scandal. Yes. Well, I think, I, I think you're saying something. I mean, there's some there's there's analogies to to politics here it's sort of like you know the big brother or the government knows better mm -hmm. and they're making these decisions for you and why why this is so important is that and this as i started off this show by saying that the standard model of particle physics is the most important model that we know about as humans and mm -hmm. if this model is is sort of a top secret uh picture of reality understandable only by folks with high-level mathematical degrees with data that's not being made public and mm -hmm. we're and we're handing off the job of explaining reality to these people who aren't sharing the data who aren't explaining it and who aren't bringing it down to earth for the people in the, in the street I don't think that is justice and I don't think that's the way science is supposed to be conducted and I think that that uh, you know we're, we we've come to the end quickly here, uh, Alexander. But I I want to emphasize that you know you you have done a service to a lot of people to the public by getting these doubts out in the open, and and those who who want to you know compare Alexander's work to anything else, pick up his book uh, Bankrupting Physics, pick up. The Higgs fake, read it, compare it to something by Steven Weinberg or Brian Greene or Lisa Randall or any of the popularizers of science and just compare them. Make up your own mind. And I think that's really what the, what the, what the takeaway here is for me is that we need to see both sides of the story. And, and it's, and we need, but we need to have both sides expressed, not just the mainstream. So, uh, Alexander, uh, I want to, you know, if you have, if you'd like to add something else about uh, your website or whatever, go right ahead. But I wanted to emphasize to the listener that the idea here is to open minds and to put the ideas out there so that we can make our own decisions and not be force fed these incomprehensible yes. theories. So, yes. Go, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. yes, you're perfectly right. I want to finish with a quote of Thomas Jefferson who said, Freedom, the firstborn daughter of science. Yes, yes, <laughs> and I think I think that's that's well said, and I think that the freedom to access this data to think for ourselves is really what's important. And I hope, in closing here, that what this means is that we're on the slow, long road to a real revolution, because I think that's what we're going to need. This is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Alexander, thank you a lot for this very controversial show, which is intended to be. 
And I hope that uh, the listener picks up one of uh, Alexander's books, check out his website, and try to balance off what he's saying against a lot of the folks that are selling the mainstream books. We'll see you next week. Thank you. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Meriton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com. 